Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Texas Tales podcast, the show where we talk about Texas history and enjoy ourselves a cocktail or two. I'm Ryan. And this is Tracy. Why don't you pour yourself a drink and join us for what we're sure will be a stimulating, partially factual Tales About Texas. On this episode of Texas Tales Podcast, we discuss a catastrophic explosion that took place in 1963 at a secret nuclear weapons facility on Lackland Air Force Base just outside of San Antonio. Ever felt like you had a bad day at work? Let me tell you, brother, you got nothing on the three fellows in this story. You're going to want to get yourself a refill for this one. Sit back. We hope you enjoy. Question. Hey, man, where'd you get that sweet Texas swag? Answer. Independence Trail Retail Company. Independence Trail Retail Company is a premium brand retail company headquartered in Houston, Texas. Our faith, along with our heritage, are at the core of who we are as a company. Guided by these core values, we aim to provide high-quality products that tell a story and testify to the richness of our shared history as Texans. Over time, we will continue to add quality products in a wide range of categories that will include men's and women's apparel, glassware, leather goods, decor, and accessories. For now, go check out the website at www.independencetrailretail.com and treat yourself to some sweet Texas swag. On November 13th, 1963, three men, Floyd Lutz, Lewis Ellinger, and Hillary Huser. Okay, Hillary was a guy. I, I didn't realize that at first when I started reading this. Well, coming from a guy named Tracy, yeah, it's okay with you me. You get it. Right? I get it. <laughs> These three men were civilian contractors. They were tasked with transporting explosive mechanisms of partially dismantled Mark 7 nuclear warheads. The core radioactive materials from these nuclear warheads had been removed. So they called it the pit. And that was basically... Yeah, that's where all the bad stuff that is. That was the meat and potatoes. It basically <laughs> yeah. was removed. So supposedly the pit has been removed. Yes. And now you still have these... I mean, they're exp- Explosive bombs, but the the core nuclear material had been had been taken out, so they can still blow up, but it's yes. not going to cause some nuclear disaster. Mm-hmm, correct. Yeah. So the material that was left behind was a round metallic shell of TNT, natural uranium, and depleted uranium. I don't know what any of that means, but it doesn't sound it like doesn't a good mixture. Sound great. And apparently, the natural uranium and the depleted uranium was kind of just like left over from the pit. It wasn't at a level of radioactive degree that it would cause any type of issues. It so, was just kind of like leftover. So like this residual. is a part this is a part of their job. They're moving this around. Yeah, so they've been contracted to basically move these decommissioned warheads to an army base in San Antonio. It's okay. a Lackland Army base. Okay. Each of these warheads was essentially the size of a beach ball and weighed hundreds of pounds. The explosive material was to be stored at the Medina Annex of Lackland Air Force Base, just outside of San Antonio, more specifically Site King, a secret area inside Medina Annex, where about a hundred humpbacked rectangular bunkers made of fortified steel and concrete called igloos, each roughly the size of four two-car garages, were created to store the nuclear materials from the nuclear program. Okay. Frank, Lewis, and Hillary were delivering their dangerous payload to igloo number 572, 
The igloo was nearly full already, having 209 spheres stacked along the floor and divided by a narrow walkway down the center. At this point, Hillary is basically logging the delivery and updating his paperwork and is standing just outside the room in Igloo 572. And Floyd and Lewis were inside dropping off the last of the spheres for their delivery. Hillary, all of a sudden, hears a loud crack and looks up from his paperwork into the room where Floyd and uh, Lewis were. Like, what the hell was that? And all of a sudden, he sees Floyd and Lewis booking it out of the room towards him yelling and they book it basically down the hall and he they go one direction and he goes the other direction <laughs> they are freaking out whatever just happened was not good so at this point we kind of have a context of what's going on where we're at and my question is holy crap like if i'm in that position what do you do are you going to get to this but like what year are we in yeah so it's 1963 november 13 1963 okay i missed that so November 13th, 1963. Okay. And if you're kind of familiar with this time period, we're really at the height of this whole nuclear Cold War time period. Yep. And so we're about a year removed from the Cuban Missile Crisis. I can remember growing up and, you know, mom and dad always talking about when they were growing up in this time period, they would have nuclear fire drills. Yeah, for sure. Like in school where they essentially would practice getting under their desks because it was such a perceived threat. Because the desk is going to save you. Yeah. I mean, that's a sturdy piece of equipment. <laughs> Why wouldn't that, right? It's the best you got, it. Why wouldn't you get under your desk in the fetal position? It was such a prevalent thing in that time period. It was just kind of understood that this is something that could happen. And so if you're these three guys and you're, I don't know what the qualifications were, one, for you to have this position to where you're handling yeah, I'm, I have a feeling like they've done this many times before. Right. Yeah. So they're contracted. Yeah. Like this is their normal job. They probably understand the sensitivity of it and the risk that goes with it. Yeah. They're civilian contractors and essentially they're moving men. Yeah. They're movers. Moving arsenal. Yeah. Some serious, some serious equipment. The material has been taken out, but they're still bombs. And so at this point, a fully armed... Mark Seven warhead that, they, that these guys were dealing with, if it did have the nuclear payload within it, would create an explosion four times the size of Hiroshima. Whoa. Yeah. One. One beach ball. And they've got several, and they've put in, what was it, 209 inside this, this igloo? Igloo that's an underground, basically, bunker. 209 of these things. And so I just find it super fascinating. Like, one, I can't imagine myself in this position where all of a sudden a day like any other day where we're basically just going through filling out paperwork. And then all of a sudden I am running <laughs> as fast as you can, as fast as I can. And it, ma it happened in a matter of seconds. I mean, there has to be something said for storing that many nuclear warheads in a certain location. And by the way, this was bunker 527. So does that mean there's 526 more? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the article said there was a couple hundred. Now, maybe just in this area, but I'm assuming that there were at least 527 other bunkers somewhere. And if this one's nearly full, then I imagine you got to think the other ones are too. Yeah. And I'm not a military man, as you know. Sure. <laughs> but these sound like they are fully loaded, ready to go, minus the nuclear part. Minus the nuclear stuff. Yeah, which is really bizarre. Did I sound like George Bush when I said that? Nuclear? Stuff. Stuff. Nuclear stuff. The real, yeah. that's, that's the official name. Fool me once. Shame <laughs> on you. 
Yeah, so I just found that super fascinating. I wanted to kind of pause and take a take a second to kind of put ourselves in that position and and also kind of just show the time period, right? So yep. everybody in this time period is super aware of nuclear activity, and so what happens next is is really bizarre. They may know of nuclear activity, but if you're a citizen of San Antonio, you're not thinking it's stored right there by you no i don't think it's a well-known thing that there is like this nuclear depot like if someone said hey a mile from your house yeah there's a nuclear depot yeah you wouldn't you would have no clue right and it probably would scare the hell out of me sure sure i might be moving i'm not sure what it means but it doesn't sound good yeah just for context, I got a lot of this information out of a Texas Monthly article oh, okay. um, that was written, I think, a year or two ago. It was a really good article, so go check it out if you're interested. But in in the article, they talk about interviewing some of the kids that were on Lackland Air Force Base at Lackland Elementary during this time period. And they talk a lot about how it was really super normal. Everybody looked after like all the other kids, mm-hmm. so like they felt very safe. But they also said that they were aware of some top secret stuff going on on the base, mainly because they would see the big B-52 bombers. They were the planes that carried nuclear weapons. They would often come into Lackland Air Force Base. And I think they, they would also get like serviced in that area as well. And yeah. so they were like, we started kind of putting two and two together. That's a good indicator that there's something going on. Yeah, exactly. They're combined in some way. The theory goes that when... Floyd and Lewis were dropping off the last of the shells, the beach balls, in the bunker that somebody essentially hit a detonator. Yeah. Right? That, so, like, I don't know was, if, like... That was if, the crack. If you're, yeah, if you're bending over and your big butt, like, hits a button and then you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> I mean, I think to hit a detonator, you have to go, like... You would think... Yeah, you would think that you'd have to like Sorry, flip I know, up a switch. I know no one can see my hand motions, but yeah. like you'd have to do something to hit a detonator pretty hard, I would think. Listen, I've seen plenty of nuclear war movies. I'm imagining this guy carrying these big like beach ball like missile things, and all of a sudden he's like, Ooh, and if one like falls out, it'd be like me carrying like a 12-pack a of cans in my yeah. arms, and then one like just falls off and it hits the ground perfect and it spews everywhere. Yeah, like slow motion. Except these are nuclear warheads. Yeah. And you try to like kick it and catch it with your foot. Right. Yeah, I've done that plenty of times. <laughs> yeah. So I've always thought that you had to have, listen, you've got your key that's hanging around your neck. And then you got a counterpart that's got a key hanging around his neck. You got to insert at the same time and count to three and then turn. Yeah. No, I think that's if you're going to bomb Russia. <laughs> like we need multiple people in coordination that this is what we're doing. I think that if Floyd... Yeah. Just happens to drop one. There's not keys. This thing is, he's hitting it on the right, perfect little spot. I think Floyd, his big butt, when he was dropping something Knocked off. Knocked it over. Yeah, pushed the button in. And all of a sudden, there was a big crack. And I hope so, at the end of this episode, Floyd doesn't die, because you're going to feel really bad. We'll get to it. Okay. What happened, it essentially set a fire within that specific sphere. And then that fire started to ignite the surrounding spheres, causing a chain reaction. That bunker? Yeah, within the, the igloo, bunker. You're calling a sphere? Like no, no, no. The sphere is the actual, the beach ball size. Oh, in it. Yes, the okay. 209 spheres. The first sphere that went crack essentially yeah. had a fire that started, mm-hmm. I guess, to ignite. And then that fire spread to the other 208 spheres in the igloo. And all of a sudden, you now have a fire and you have smoke that is billowing out 
of the doorway. And then also they have like these exhaust tubes out of the ground. And so it starts billowing out of the tube. So these guys are running out. Hillary sees them and he realizes they have the fear of God in them. What he probably doesn't know is that while they're running as fast as they can, they're also crapping the pants. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're screaming. They're crapping the pants. You don't know. Honestly, you I mean, I would feel like if that was going to go up, I'd have to run a mile yes. before I was free and clear. If that. Honestly, I don't even know what I would do because I would just kind of have like the defeatist mentality of like, I can't outrun this. You thing. would get down in a fetal position under a desk somewhere. <laughs> Start crying. <laughs> hey, guys. Ever want to feel like a kid again? Well, we've got the answer for you. Introducing E-Riders, the first adult single-person electric vehicle. These things are badass. Yes, they are electric, but crazy, powerful, rugged, sleek, and can travel 12 miles on a single charge. Whether you plan to cruise around the neighborhood in style, ladies, hit the beach, or quietly get in and out of your dear blonde, like I do, these fat tire scooters are the way to go. No tax, title, or license required. However you plan to use them, pick up one today. Support E-Riders, a Texas small business. That's E-R-I-D-E-R-R-S.com. That's right. Two R's in E-Riders. Financing available. Go pick up one today. Yeah, so as smoke is billowing out of this igloo, as I mentioned, Floyd and Lewis run out of the room screaming, and they go one direction. For some reason, Hillary decides to run in the opposite direction. And he mentioned in the article in Texas Monthly that I think he was trying to get to the nearest igloo that was from where they were. And I think there was some type of like a alarm system or something that he could set off. I don't know why there wasn't one in the one that he was in, but essentially that was his mentality. It was he was going to run to the nearest one and he was going to try and alert folks. Okay. And essentially within a minute, the fire set off a massive detonation. So they had a minute to run. How far are you running in a minute? No, 60 seconds. Not very far. <laughs> I haven't been to the got, gym in a while. I'm dying. I got cramps. I probably just had lunch. Yeah. That tuna fish sandwich is sitting right there. And I'm like gasping for breath. Wheezing. You just pulled your uh, groin. You pulled uh, your hamstrings. Oh, you got everything. cramps in your sides. Sure. Like a like a 40-something-year-old man playing softball. <laughs> At that point, you're wondering, why in the hell didn't I stay in shape? <laughs> this massive detonation goes off. The entire steel and concrete igloo and its contents, including two one-ton steel doors, all went airborne. The blast also sent... Dirt and layers of rock as deep as 25 feet down into the air, leaving behind a crater half a football field in diameter. So it didn't just blow up. It blew a Out. crater into the ground and shot all that crap up into the air. Yeah. That's a big crater. 25, 25 feet, feet deep, deep. And half a football field in diameter. Which is amazing to me that it didn't, like, how far apart were these other igloos? I don't know. I can't At what imagine point it. did, like, how did they also not go? Well, I'm assuming it's not like a a storage unit where they're all next to each other. There's probably some precautions so that, like, this is this igloo. So if this one goes up, this one doesn't go up. I don't know. I'm making this up. Again, not a military man. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like it's, it's a logical statement, but I don't know. I mean, they had 209 of these things in, one, in close quarters. They were stacked on top of each other, and they were separated by a narrow walkway. Wow. Like, that's how yeah, tight it's just they like were. It's almost like a just a... It's just a storage warehouse almost. Yeah. Much of the uranium and depleted uranium metal were vaporized in a towering pillar of smoke and debris that rose a thousand feet into the air. A thousand feet. That doesn't scream out health to me. (laughs) I mean, did they alert people that, listen, there's uranium floating in the air. You're all going to die at some point. Or if you get cancer five years from now, you know why? I think it kind of 
it, I'm not going to say it was understood, but once they saw a thousand foot column of smoke, I think a lot of the adults in the area were kind of aware this isn't good. Okay. Right? So when I think of a column a thousand feet in the air, I do think of like you said, Hiroshima. Yeah. Nagasaki. Yeah. Like, so- I think of those types of like... Is, was it like that? No. So what's interesting is a lot of the reports that came in afterwards talked about the pillar of smoke having a mushroom cap on it, yeah. which I guess is a telltale sign of an atomic bomb, right? That we're all familiar with seeing. This one did not have that. Okay. Okay. And so authorities or whoever said, actually, no, you know, people are embellishing. So you know how it is. Like people start like embellishing sure. on what happened and everything else. All and the Karens like, out there start talking. Yeah. They're like, no, listen, like there was a thousand foot column of smoke. It was a massive explosion, but it was not a mushroom cloud. It was not atomic. It was not, you know, any of the, like, they had to start to like refute that right. as they went. But a lot of the adults in the area were fearful that, I mean, they knew that there were nuclear materials or, or you know, there was this cache of bombs in the area. So they were fearful of what you said, which is, holy crap, or do we have to worry about radioactivity or whatever the case might be? Not even the radioactivity, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but like, you got to start worrying about people thinking like, this is the beginning of war. Yes. Or like, I mean, rumors could spread, you know, like, you don't know. And this isn't the time of the internet right. where you can dismiss that quickly. No. No, you're exactly right. I mean, it's a, it's a different time period, and you have to remember that the information at your fingertips or misinformation at your fingertips wasn't readily available, right? It was one of those things where this happened, now what? Let's basically try and figure it out. So the blast was felt as far as 17 miles away where windows had been blown out of buildings in Castroville. Wow. So windows blown out 17 miles away. Everyone on base and in the surrounding areas thought that World War III had just happened. Oh, there you go. Right? And of course, why wouldn't it happen in San Antonio? San Antonio, Antonio, that seems logical. (laughs) The sheriff's department reported that cars were stacked bumper to bumper for two miles around the base following the explosion trying to get out. So there's mass just pandemonium, right? Everybody's just trying to get the hell out of Dodge at this point. The Air Force grounded all air traffic, and most people were concerned about the nuclear fallout. Yeah, I mean, I would be. Yeah, so I mean, all those points that we talked about, I mean, that's exactly what they felt and how they reacted, just because... It they was don't just know. so out of the blue, right? They didn't they didn't have any idea. Within hours of the blast, authorities addressed the question of whether or not dangerous radiation had been released into the air. Technicians gathered air, water, and soil samples and determined that the radiation levels were not above normal. Okay. Okay, so they quickly were able to So it was a massive acid blast. A massive acid blast. But radiation is fine. So kind of confirming what they had thought. Which is scary as hell, but there's no fallout here. Yeah, and I would think that that, I mean, it makes sense. That would be your number one concern. Yep. So you get a team on site really quick. What was really fascinating is some of the articles that I read talked about how they didn't have a way to call out from the base. And I don't know if that was a result of the blast, if that was a result of so many calls coming in that were mm-hmm. worried, but essentially they couldn't get word out. So there's obviously this time period where you're in shock. And you're really just trying to kind of assess, is everybody okay? Right. What, like, what's the next step? Yep. Once they were able to kind of find everybody and kind of assess the situation, then it was like, all right, we need to get the word out and we need to start organizing uh, so that we have some type of structure as far as cleanup or as far as, you know, the top things that we need to address. But they couldn't get the word out. They couldn't call out. They couldn't, you know, organize or coordinate with surrounding authorities 
So it really just helped spur on this time period of just chaos and pandemonium. Wait, I'm waiting to hear this. And you've alluded to it a bit. You said Hillary was interviewed. Uh So he survived this thing? Yeah. How about the other two guys? Did they run the right direction or the wrong direction? They all survived. They all survived. Yeah. That's amazing. They all survived. So nobody actually They must have had like, it must have been a delayed. It wasn't like they dropped it and it, boom, it was like delayed a while. It was a minute. And that was the fire you were talking about. So I guess the fire had to build up at some point. Right. So think about it smoldering inside the igloo, right? And then you see the smoke and you don't know how long you got, but you know you got, you got to go. They interviewed at least two of them. They interviewed Hillary and I think they interviewed Floyd in the Texas Monthly article. And they both talked about how they ran for about a minute. And then all of a sudden, the whole world just went up. Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, it, it went it went up. They talk about how they got knocked down from the blast. Of course. So like the, the wave of the explosion knocked them down. It ruptured Hillary's, I think, left eardrum. The other two guys, Floyd and Lewis, they got knocked down to the ground. They got back up and continued running. Essentially, Hillary recalls, okay, he's like, all right, I survived the blast, but now he's very aware of the falling debris. And so he's like, basically like car-sized chunks of concrete are now falling the one-ton doors that got blown up in the air were falling. He's looking around trying to find something to get under, and the only thing he can find is like a scrub brush. And so he literally gets under the scrub brush into a fetal position. Again, and, and just that's prays. about as good as a desk. That's about as good as a desk. That's right. a school desk. Yeah, it's super bizarre. And it sounds like it's really just by the grace of God and just dumb luck that nobody died if not from the blast itself but also from the falling debris sorry i probably derailed you from where you're going but i just had to figure out what happened to these guys i couldn't wait till the end no it's okay it's all good it's conversational (laughs) when hillary got up from being in the fetal position he said that like five feet away from him was a gigantic chunk of concrete that would have surely killed him in the article they talk about when they're talking to these guys they went immediately back to that day. Right. Right. And you could tell like they were in that moment and it still really affected them. But through this whole thing, nobody died. So we had these, you know, the special team that's on the ground that does the soil samples, the air samples, water samples. They determine that there's no radioactive issues in the area. Further analysis is done by a public health service and they confirm the fact that there's no significant contamination. So we now get to the point to where you're asking yourself, okay, well, Given that the blast occurred at a nuclear weapons facility in sight of a major American city at a time when the country was obsessed with civil defense and nuclear war, why isn't this a major historical event that we all are aware of? I don't know, Ryan. I've heard of. Because I've never heard of this in my life. I know. It's insane. Part of the reason is because what we talked about, where there was no loss of life and it just was a bad day at work. The second piece that people kind of surmise and what the Texas Monthly article talks about is that nine days later, on November 22nd, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Wow. And so as you can imagine, that moment in history, it just sucks out the life of any other news story, right? I mean, that was such a rip in the timeline, right? I mean, of human history. Another big Texas event. Yeah. Yeah. And so it really got to think about this, too, as we were saying earlier, this isn't the time of the Internet. So news is slower, slower to get out. It's not that news would it necessarily would have gotten out, but any chance of it getting out was definitely 
um, stopped with JFK's assassination. Right. And it could have been a big news story yeah. for that week. Absolutely. But after that, nope. it took second. I mean, everything took backseat to yep. the JFK assassination. So in the article in the Texas Monthly uh, Magazine, they talked to, like I mentioned earlier, some of the kids from Lackland Elementary that were at the base at that time. And one of the individuals that they spoke to basically said that the 60s were marred with life-changing historical events, assassinations, race riots, friends and family that were lost in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. And essentially the explosion was just another event in a decade that left the entire country, really. Yeah, I mean, tumultuous. It was, just, it was just one of those, it was just like another thing added on, right? And so much happened after we that. We can kind of relate to that right now, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that seem like they're just happening back to back to back to back. Right. And you quickly kind of lose sight of those, at the time, major events, right? Yep. So a really fascinating story. I want to end this on a funny tidbit. Okay. That I came across. And this actually comes from, I think it's a news station in San Antonio, KENS5. It looked like it had like a little CBS emblem at the top of the article. But I thought it was funny. So it talks about Mrs. Myron Wood of 900 Burr Road noted that she had an old onyx clock that had belonged to her mother that hadn't worked for 25 years. But the blast set the clock ticking again and it was fully functioning making her clock the only ticker affected in a positive way by the blast that day. (laughs) (laughs) All things happen for a reason. That's right, man. That's right. (laughs) So it was a good story. Like I said, I'd never heard this. I didn't ever, I didn't know this even was a thing. It sounds like it was a massive deal. I want to go like Google if there's pictures of it, but I'm assuming this is 1960, whatever. There's no pictures of it. There's pictures. There's pictures? There's absolutely pictures. Of the blast? Yes. Even in the Texas Monthly article, they show pictures of the, I don't know if it was of the blast itself, but they show pictures of the crater. They show a picture of the Air Force Base. So if we were going to go Google that, where would we go Google? Yeah. So you just Google uh, large explosion, uh, Lackland Air Force Base, 1963. I mean, it literally just pulls up. Okay. Yeah. And there's, like I said, I think there's numerous, numerous articles. The Texas Monthly article, I believe, was like titled, Remember When a Nuclear Explosion Took Place in Lackland Air Force Base or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, you pull it up. There's a lot of good stuff there. There's pictures there. It's there. And again, you know, you guys, we basically just bring these stories to you. By all means, go research it. And there's so much more to it, I, I think. Sure. There's a lot of really good interviews in the Texas Monthly article specifically with the kids that were on base. And there's kind a of lot live, of... They lived through it all. Yeah, a lot of that article. I basically took out probably half of the article just because it was a lot of just talking to them about what life was like back then and all that. And But it was really good. And, you know, it's one of those stories that I really enjoyed because I just didn't know anything about it. The more you know. The more you know. Cheers, brother. Cheers, brother. Thank you. All right, friends, that's going to do it for this episode of the Texas Tales Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. If you'd like to keep up with us outside of the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at TXTalesPodcast, or you can visit our online store at www.independencetrailretail.com for all things Texas swag. I'm Ryan, and that's Tracy. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.